Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name for, uh, uh, for this day. Uh, we thank you for uh, your presence with us and um, the hope we have in you, and that that hope will not be ashamed, but uh, will be fulfilled. So, uh, Lord, give us uh, uh, clarity of thought and mind. Um, be with us as we look here at this church in Pergamum, and uh, God, help us to uh, see clearly uh, what you would say to us today in our church and in our lives. Uh, we, we recognize uh, your, your uh, rulership, your majesty, your love, and we just uh, pray that uh, we would uh, be faithful to be your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here, and um, I, I, how, how many of y'all were here this morning, either service, doesn't matter? Good, good. Um, I, I loved, uh, Pastor Andy, that um, in that solo, that that song, um, what is the song that was being played as the intro, and then it, it totally changed. I, I can't think of it right now. Um, yeah, be still my soul. Yeah, now I've, I've got to look that up later because it's been driving me crazy because that's all I can remember is be still my soul. But I thought it was just, it was very beautiful how that uh, came in. So uh, anyway, if you didn't realize that, that was a different old song and it just the meaning applied to, to uh, Elizabeth. And uh, when I die, you can have Elizabeth come and sing. And if you ask me what do, you, do I want her to sing, I don't care. It can be the phone book, all right? So um, she just has a wonderful voice and she's such a, uh, a willing servant. Um, in fact, uh, I think at my trial sermon, uh, Brother uh, Pete back there, y'all can blame him for me being here. He was chairman. Um, but, uh, but I asked for a certain song, and, and the song pastor at that time said, oh, I know who can sing, and it was Elizabeth, and it was uh, Dry Bones, was the, the Valley of the Dry Bones. So anyway, well, we're looking at Pergamum today. Um, some of these names I really enjoy saying, and some of them I can't pronounce at all. So this is one I enjoy saying, Pergamum. Uh, it's kind of a, one of those fun words. And um, uh, it, we'll get into it in just a second. And something I haven't done is just, or I don't remember doing, uh, is just reading the text before we get started. So uh, let, let me do that. Beginning of verse 12 of, of Roman, uh, Romans, Revelation 2. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some, some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have come, you have some, sorry, uh, who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I've been saying that wrong. I, I, the, yeah, before I said Nicolaitans, but it's Nicolaitans, uh, as the AI there, uh, is before the T, not after. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So, that's where we 
uh, we, we jump in tonight. So, um, and, and most of this that is in the scripture, uh, the Bible kind of uh, interprets itself. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but if you read scripture broadly, um, you'll get interpretation. Um, in fact, uh, many times we use a verse uh, to prove something. We say, well, you know, the Bible says, and we'll say it, it might even be a partial verse. And that's sometimes well and good, and sometimes people are using something that does not mean when they said it what it means today. That can be a change. And so um, if we're honest with what we're studying, we have to also know the history and the background. And that's, that's part of the problem in Revelation there are things that are said there that they that would, they would reference easily, they would understand it, where we have to go and study a little bit to fi figure that out. And by the way, Miss Mary, who's sitting right down here, I believe it was her who told me when I was talking about getting things in context, uh, said she had a teacher one time that said, um, if you're going to read a verse or use a verse, you ought to go back to the verse that person used and read at least 20 verses before it and 20 after. Was that you? They told me that wasn't you. Somebody, somebody might have been in here. Somebody told me that recently. I thought, well, that's, that's good. I always say read the chapter before and the chapter after, but um, 20, 20 verses before and after might, might help you get there. Or if you read something you don't understand, keep reading or go back and read before it. That, that always helps. So I say all that to say we don't know anything about Pergamum. That's one of those, all he has to say is to, the, to the angel of the church at Pergamum and everybody in that area, oh, we know about that church. You know, it'd be like, um, well, hopefully, somebody said, well, you know, Calvary Baptist, and they'll have some impression of it, right, um, or some knowledge of it, um, and, or, but they would know this city for sure. Uh, I, I stopped myself in my head because um, I did a church consultation one time, well, actually, I did a couple times, but this one time, and it was in, uh, it was, it was in, uh, get it out, Stuart. It was in Kentucky, I know that. I can't get the uh, not Lexington, but Louisville. Thank you, Louisville, Kentucky. Sometimes they get stuck on the easiest word. And um, they had a fence around their church. It was out on a main road. And they had a fence around it that looked like Stalag 13. I mean, it was, it was the most intimidating stone fence I'd ever seen. It wasn't pretty. It looked like, do not come in, and if you get inside, you'll never get out. That was it. So that was one of the things we told them. Somebody needs to just bust that fence up with a sledgehammer and get rid of it. Um, but, but we went down the street to a 7-Eleven. I've told the story before. You may have heard it if you're in here and been here for a while. Um, and, but we went in there, you know, bought, bought something because you don't want to go in and not do that. And I, when I got up to the counter to pay, I said, excuse me, have you ever heard of da-da-da-da Baptist Church? Do you know where that is? And the guy said, no, don't think I've ever heard, heard of that church. And he, said, and he called like for the man, hey, do you know where Bob Baptist Church is? And the guy goes, no, I, I'm not sure. I think it may be, and he, he gave us some directions. While he's talking, I'm looking out the window at the church. So never assume, you know, people say, well, they know where we are. No, they don't. They'll know where you are if you get out in the community and start blessing the community. Then they'll know where you are. But if you pull inside and put a fence up that says, don't come in here, a stone barrier that says, do not come up here, then, uh, then they may not ever decide to figure out what's behind that big, ugly fence. Well, um, that has nothing to do with Pergamum. I just chased a fat rabbit right there. So uh, Pergamum, it's not as important as Ephesus or Smyrna, which we have already looked at those two cities economically. 
the business side of things wasn't as important, but it does, and I'm reading notes, sorry, I gave you the notes tonight, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting, making it easier and easier for you. But it, but it would hold its own with those two cities, both politically and religiously. So um, I'll try to give some more detail here. Alexander the Great died. Y'all remember how he died. He had no other worlds to conquer. He was 33 years old, so he killed himself. Um, did not know there was much more world out there, but when you live for, for something worldly and achieve it, what, what do you have left? We will never achieve what we're working for as, as believers in Christ. We are... We press toward, Paul said, I, press, I continue to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So as long as he lived he, on this earth, he's going to be pushing uh, for that. And in that pursuit, there is satisfaction and wins along the way. So anyway, uh, he kills himself. And then the last king of this place, whose name was Attalus, I guess, the third, gave the city to Rome to become the capital, and it became the capital of the Roman province of Asia. But he, it did that, as most uh, in that time would do, because they, um, um, I'm trying to find a church word to use here, but they, they, they pleased Rome, they served Rome very well, let me put it that way. And they were the very first city in Asia to support uh, and to openly support the imperial cult. Now, the imperial cult is Caesar is God, right? Um, I don't think anybody in here actually remembers World War II, do you? No, no. You'd have to be, what, close to 100 maybe to remember that? But many of you, like me, um, have a parent or grandparent who fought in it. It was my father. My father was in that war. Um, and, uh, and, and, and. Uh, the emperor of Japan was considered a god to the Japanese people until we, you know, blew up a couple of those cities and no matter politics aside, uh, he had to come out and go, well, I'm just a man. I'm not a god. I couldn't stop that. Um, and, and so that, it's always dangerous and when people uh, are changed. But just looking at these churches should give you some um, new appreciation of the book of Acts that they had these gods that they served and Pergamum is a, is a big one for this they had other gods they served and here comes Paul and Barnabas and these Christians and they show their power God's power over those other gods and um, in one case in particular uh, uh, they really wanted to get rid of Paul because he took away their livelihood they made statues little statues to I think it was Diana uh, and, and said, we know that she's the supreme God and all, has all this power. And Well, why couldn't she stop them then? <laughs> if, she, if she was that, that God, that, that doesn't work. But in 29 B.C., or 29 years before Christ came, they had a temple dedicated, and there it is again, the divine Augustus and the goddess Roma. So we have this, the male and female symbology again um, in, in pagan worship. That is a huge deal. Um, as I've told you, um, this goes all the way back to Nimrod in, in the Bible. Um, and so in 29 BC, they dedicated one of their temples. They had a bunch of temples already. So uh, what I read didn't say they built one. It said they dedicated one. So they could have been building it or could have been just, hey, uh, you know, that God, he's not doing much for us. Let's, let's dedicate that temple to, to, the, to the emperor and to the goddess Roma. Um, and then other than that... Um, the, the worship of the emperor became a test of loyalty to Rome. 
In other words, you had to swear allegiance to Rome. That's basically what we're saying, but it was a little bit more than that. But, but that's the basic thing. And if you wouldn't do it, they considered it an act of treason. I, I, it's there in the note somewhere. Um, it, it became, if you wouldn't bow to these, go to that temple and say certain words and give certain sacrifices to um, the emperor, then they considered you a, a traitor. And so this cult was key to the, to the imperial policy. In other words, they built policy on the fact that people were worshiping the emperor. And if you didn't take, that's where I put it in the next line, if you didn't take part in doing that, they consider that act of treason punishable, of course, by death if you wouldn't recant. Um, last week, uh, I, I had uh, said I had gotten out a story about uh, Polycarp. And I did, and on Monday, I was looking for something else, and I'd put it on my phone so I would have it here to tell you, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't manage to remember that. So it's, it's still in there on my phone, but that made me go back and look even further at it um, when Polycarp was, uh, was killed for the, for the cause of Christ. And uh, he had, uh, this, is, this is about the last city, but I, I do, want to go back and tell you the longer story, if, if you don't mind, uh, because it's just a great example of this kind of, um, this kind of, of, of persecution. Um, Polycarp was a disciple of John, who is a human author of Revelation. This is 155 AD. Uh, this Revelation is written in the 90s. So uh, this disciple of John had become the bishop there. And um, persecution is heating up. And amongst the Christians there in, in Smyrna, which we were looking at last week, there were people who would, there was one guy in particular, I should say, who was encouraging people to go turn themselves into Romans, I won't swear allegiance to Rome, so they could be martyred. And Polycarp and the rest said, don't do that. That's not what Jesus taught, based in Matthew. You don't, you don't have to go die. Don't, you know, it's better if you live and serve Christ as, as long as possible. And so they, they, they shut that part down. But Polycarp, because he, he was the top guy, and because he had such, um, uh, you know, he, as we were saying today, had such self-control, he was just calm. Um, he didn't want to run either. And they, they were on the hunt for him. They're trying to find him because he's the key to the church. And so finally some of the disciples convinced him, you need to get out of this house, get out of the city. So he did. Um, and he was in another house, and they knew he was that the Romans were coming. So they got Polycarp to leave again. They'd leave. They're coming here. And there were two teenage boys in that house. And so when Rome got there and found those boys, they're asking, where did he go? And they wouldn't tell. And they, they tortured them, and I believe they killed them. So Polycarp said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to have other people dying because they can't find me. So he went and turned himself in. So they encouraged him, and, and I didn't bring it with me in here, but... They encouraged him, well, actually, hold on one second. Uh, where did I put it? Um, again, I have it uh, um, in here. I'm not sure if this is it or not. Uh, nope, that's not it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so they tell him, listen, you've got to recant and say, uh, call Caesar Lord, and he wouldn't do it. And uh, they said, uh, we'll release, we'll throw you to the, to the, to the animals. We'll release these wild beasts. He said, that's when he said, 
uh, my king, I, I'm 86 years old, and I've served Christ my, my whole life. He's never done me any harm. Why would I deny him now? And they said, we have fire. We're going to burn you. He, he said, you, you've burned me with a fire that will be extinguished in an hour, but there's an eternal fire you don't know about. And they said, for the sake of your age, just say, uh, atheist, you know, be gone. And so he waved at the crowd, said, atheist, be gone, instead of the Christians. So they, they built the fire pyre, and I told you about that, and they put him up there. And I, I was wrong on a couple of details. Um, he let them tie him up, and he, he goes up to the pole, and they brought up the nails to fasten him to the pole. And he said, you have no need of nails. He who will keep me, uh, uh, he who will see me through the fire will also give me the, to endure the fire will also give me the grace to, to not move off of this position. So they didn't tie him. So they came in and lit the fire. And the fire made an arc around him. It wouldn't touch him. And he just stood there, and the fire would not come toward him at all. It just it, it went around him. So the, the chief Roman dog, I don't know who it was, I can't remember, said, stick him. So somebody took a sword and, and, and killed him. And you can look this up. Just look up the martyrdom of Polycarp. You can read it in better detail. So they killed him. Well, the disciples obviously want to take his body and bury him. And they didn't want him to have his body, so they burned his body after he was dead. But while he was alive, he stood right there on that pile of sticks, and the fire wouldn't touch him. So pretty amazing uh, things. God was still doing a bunch of miracles in the early church uh, in those years. So he, he died. Well, Pergamum is a place of the same kind of cult worship. And uh, it does not seem that persecution has happened there too much yet, even though You'll, we'll see here there's a martyr that's already been there. Uh, there's already a martyr there. And um, there's a hint that more might be coming in, in here. So just understand that they're building the... the um, Rome is now making policy based on these people's allegiance to Rome uh, in, a, in a very complete way. And this is why Christians were, were, were killed. Jesus said, don't call any man on earth your teacher or your master. Um, except, except Christ, and so they refused to do so. They refused to call anybody but Christ Lord. Um, so there in your notes, it just says, this was also a center for a bunch of other Roman deities, and I just kind of named some of the things that I saw. An Acropolis that was a 1,000 feet high had a bunch of different temples on it to different deities. That's why I said I don't know whether the one they dedicated to the emperor, Augustus, and to the goddess Roma, uh, Roma uh, was built, or just they took one and dedicated it. Um, but at the top, uh, and that was supposed to be huge, and I didn't correct it, sorry. Hugh is a, a proper name. Uh, but it was dedicated to Zeus, so I made a mistake there. You can fix that if you want. Um, dedicated to Zeus, who is the, you know, the top god, or you can go to the Zeus Theater and watch a movie. Um, isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> These people were, were like, you know, Zeus is the biggest judge. And now today we're like, yeah, let's go to the Zeus Theater. Um, just kind of not very uh, flattering, is it? Um, there was a temple to Athena. Athena is, you know, this, uh, the, the, the goddess woman of beauty and all that. Um, and also of this, this god, Asclepius. You would think I would try to say it better before I got here. But I, I put that in there because he is the serpent god of healing 
famous for a, a college of medical practices. They worshiped this God of healing, and he was a serpent God. Even today, you will see a lot of symbology with serpents, okay? One is a circle, a snake eating its own tail. It's consuming itself. This is, this is an, a pagan symbol. Um, and then it is believed uh, that, that the giants were buried in huge mounds on the earth. And these mounds, they're big because they got giants buried in them. And so these giants built these mounds to bury their, to, to bury their dead. In Israel, uh, east of uh, the Sea of Galilee, is, uh, there's a king mentioned in the Old Testament, Og of Bashan, uh, B-A-S-H-A-N. And there's a big circle structure there, a big uh, monolith structure they found the bed of Bashan, and it was 13 feet long, I believe, 16 feet wide, 6 feet wide. And, uh, and we, they found his bed, so he was pretty big. The, well, the Bible says that. Uh, that's how big the bed was. But if you, look, if, you, if you want to look up the circle of the giants or the circle of Og of Bashan on Google Maps, and they look just north of it, you'll see a huge serpent mound. A lot of these mounds were built in the form of a serpent. And it has to do with either medicine or fertility, because it could be a snake, and then um, sometimes it's a snake eating an egg, and so it's kind of symbolic of, of fertility. I'll leave that to you to figure that part out. Um, so they had a, a, a temple to that pagan god, and that's, that is just still being done in our culture today amongst pagans, people that um, deny, deny Christ. I don't know if you know, but um, there's, a, there's a creek, a river down uh, near uh, Suffolk where we used to live. Um, and I believe, I believe Smithfield Ham is on that river. You want to guess what its name is? The Pagan River. <laughs> I don't know who named it that. I don't know if they considered the North American Indians their pagans and named it that. It was a place they were. But that always made me go... Hmm, wonder why they call it that. I, I never did know why, but anyway. Now, what I, what I heard a long time ago, that that is the snake, um, and, and some people do say they mix it because when the children of Israel were being bitten by serpents in the Old Testament, and he said, make a, a serpent of bronze, hold, put it on a pole and hold it up, and anybody looks at that will be healed. There is that symbology in the Bible from the Jewish people in the wilderness. Um, and so what I understand is our modern medical symbol of the snake is supposed to be the, the serpent of Moses. But when you dig a little deeper in the Old Testament, the Israelites begin to worship that very piece of bronze. And so later in a time of, of revival, some, one of those good kings took it and destroyed it and made them drink it, I think, put it in their water and say, here, drink it. You liked it so much, just drink it. It might have been the golden cow, I can't remember. But, but they did worship it and gave it a name. And um, so I, our modern symbol is supposedly in good faith that that was the serpent, a bronze serpent of Moses that people were healed when they looked at it or, or looked toward it. They didn't even have to see it, just only looking at it straight. A million people getting attacked by snakes, I don't think everybody could see it. But if you just looked in that direction in faith, God would, God would heal you. So it's combined somehow, but I don't have an 
I don't know enough detail to put them together, but some people say it's, it, beca it became a god, a false god to the Israelites. So whether is that, if that's where it started or not, I don't know. It also goes back to, of course, the Garden of Eden, where the, Satan attempted. Uh, so the pagan worship of the serpent goes back to that because they worship that which they do not know. Um, but um, also don't forget this, when you talk, when we go, now that we're all the way back to the garden, um, thank you, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, um, that's, anyway, we've, we've got to get back to the garden, anyway, um, which is, no, we don't, <laughs> we want to go forward, um, anyhow, that, that word serpent also means dragon, so, um, and, and Christian scientists uh, that is a, as a study, if you go to the Christian Science Museum, um, they believe that dinosaur. well, obviously dinosaurs existed, of course, and they believe they were alive in, up to the flood, and the change in Earth's climate caused them to go extinct, not a, well, even, even secular science says that, they just say the Earth got hit by a meteor and suddenly it got cold. It was, the flood changed the face of what the Earth looked like and changed our temperatures worldwide, and so they died out, but, um, but so I, I'm only telling you that because uh, the Chinese have a dragon, obviously, that's very important in their culture, and so it could be a dragon or it could be, it's not necessarily a snake, it could be a dragon uh, as well, um, and so later in Revelation, if we were studying the rest of the book, that dragon is what he's called in Revelation as well, so it's not that he's that you know, sneaky snake, uh, thanks to the great theologian, um, Tom T. Hall. Um, I'm just going to make as many music references as I can today. Um, but uh, it, really, the symbol of Satan is a dragon, not just a snake, but because of, we don't understand that, people use a snake as well. Um, saw one two weeks ago cutting grass, just, just before it got cold, uh, in, in the yard. I thought it was a, a piece of rubber hose debris, and then I got close, and it it moved away, so I said, oh, that was a snake, tail of a snake. Um, but anyway, um, so they had both emperor worship and pagan religion. It was a big deal in Pergamum. And that's what is going to be the complaint God's going to have, and that's why I listed all these ones out so you would understand that they wanted to keep Rome happy because that's how you stay uh, economically sound. They weren't a strong port. They didn't have a lot of commerce. Uh, they couldn't compete as well, uh, so they used politics to make sure they got the tax dollars coming back at them, um, uh, as well as making all the pagans happy, um, which was you know, the broader religion. So it was a very tough atmosphere for a Christian church. Um, how would that apply to us in Stanton? Do you know of any pagan things going on in Stanton? There's a, there was a store downtown um, at one, I, I, I happened upon it. We are just walking through town, and it drew us in, I forget how, whatever it was, it, it did not belie what it was, but we went in, and th at, that, at that time, I don't know if they're still there, there were, you, you went on a, a, you could go on a map search for dragons in Stanton. And they had placed them in certain places. Now, I don't know if they placed them there. They're already there. 
um, because Janice just went, I feel weird in here, let's get out, so we did. Um, but it was, it was dedicated to that. Uh, there, there, I remember when a, a shop opened for witches in the mall, but then not long after that, they tore the mall down. So I don't know what happened to that, but I was on a road I'm not usually on, on and I saw a store, uh, looked like, <laughs> it wasn't a crystal cathedral, it was a crystal palace. It was, it was a, you know, a, 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 yeah, crystals selling pagan idea of, of the power of crystals of rocks, literally worshiping rocks. Um, it's, it's just so funny how this doesn't change. So yeah, there is openly, hey, I'm, I'm using the word pagan because they would not say that we're, we don't worship the devil. We don't, you, you know, this is, um, witchcraft or Wiccan is the belief in nature is God. It's animism, just like it was in Africa if Pete and I were there. Um, you know, they set up a stick and go, there's your God. You got to, you know, that's the magic piece of wood that's going to get you if you don't act right. Um, but it's just to harness the power of nature. That's the idea of the witch uh, or, or historic of, of the true witch is not the ones on TV and Disney movies. Um, and so they, they do chants and do all this stuff trying to get this power. And they don't realize they're playing with demonic powers is what, what's going on. Um, these things are real. They do exist. And some of these beings uh, that have fallen from, from uh, the fallen angels or whatever they are um, have set themselves up as gods or they were demigods from, um, from Genesis 6. So um, this was a place that was just accepted that, like it's okay. Um, well, how does Christ represent himself in Pergamum? becomes a great, uh, a great question here. Uh, in verse 12. See, we had not even got out of verse 12 yet. I was just telling you about Pergamum so far. Um, that's the stuff you won't just see written here in the scripture, but all the, the people that saw Pergamum go, oh yeah, we know about Pergamum. There used to be a city in, in Florida, I don't know if it's still there, and it was a city inhabited solely by witches. It was set up to be a city for witches. Can't remember the name, this back in the 70s. Um, my brother-in-law went through it once. Uh, we had a guy that used to run a, a ministry down there, tried to. Um, uh, uh, Salem, Massachusetts is a great place uh, for, um, there, there probably never were witches in the witch trials, uh, and if there were, they were the people accusing the other people of being witches. That's how that works. Um, but now, you know, of course, everybody that's into that, that's, that's their headquarters. So there's a lot of weird stuff there. Um, the, they just, the, the people just went to Maine. I told this group that last week. A toy store, and you bought a kid's toy, and you got a free set of kids' tarot cards, and you could go upstairs and get, get, get a reading. So it's, this is not foreign to the United States. There's a lot of pagan worship in the United States. Um, and and it, it happens here. I've had other pastors tell me um, they go up on top of Afton Mountain and, and do rituals and, um, you know, kill things and burn things and whatever all they do. Yeah, the, yeah, the mi mischief and magic. And, and you know, and, and what's unfortunate in those kind of things is a lot of the people that are doing that, they just think it's, it's a big joke. Y'all remember the, the, the TV show in the 60s? It's a dumb question. Everybody in here knows what I'm going to say. Bewitched. Y'all remember that? Well... I grew up in a Christian home, I've told you that, 
But my family was ignorant of the reality of this kind of stuff. We just thought, oh, it's a cute movie. It's a good idea. You know, Casper the Friendly Ghost and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, but, but I can absolutely remember watching that TV show as a kid because it was just silly comedy, right? And uh, you, you remember her uncle? Who played her uncle? Do y'all remember that? I can't remember his name, but I know who actually played him. Yeah, Paul Lynn. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the only, the only thing I remember him saying is he was sitting on the couch one time, and he said, my feet are killing me. And, uh, and so the, then they went to the wide shot, and he had two six-shooters on the on his ends of his shoes, and they were shooting at him. And so, yeah, it was, it was funny. In those days, if I had known, I said this later, uh, because as I was becoming a teenager, when we got this evangelist that taught us the reality of what the Scripture was saying, and if I'd have known that you could actually be a warlock because of that TV show, I'd have tried it if I hadn't been a Christian already. Because why, who wouldn't? You could cast a spell, you know, wrinkle your nose, make something happen, wave your hand, and woo. And, and let me tell you how, what the devil does. He, he gets people to believe in that. They do it, and then the demons make sure or try to make sure it happens. So those people will get sucked in deeper and deeper. And what they don't realize is that, that, they're drawn, that Satan's drawn them in so he can devour them, so he can keep them in hell. There, um, you can, uh, there's a couple books you can read. One's called Peace Child, that is Lords of the Earth. And uh, it's about missionaries in the place where Kirk's kids are, um, where they fly. And uh, um, especially in Lords of the Earth, this missionary is trying to teach them about Jesus. And he gets enough of the language and enough that he's telling them the story of Jesus' death. And when he got to the part where Judas betrayed Jesus, they cheered. And he went, I've missed something in the culture. So he goes to his translator and said, why did they cheer? What is going on? Judas became the hero of the story to these people. You say, how? Because the highest thing that you could do in that tribe is go to an enemy and make him your friend and treat him nicely until he trusted you, until he would come in and be in your house and be totally relaxed, would drop all of his guard, all of his weapons, and you could kill him and then eat him. So Judas had been a friend to Jesus for three years and then had him put to death. He's the hero. He goes, now what do I do? How do you turn that around? How do you explain, no, that's the bad thing to do. For them, it was the good thing. And, uh, and, and this is the, how Satan takes the things that knowing a missionary one day will get there, puts that in that culture, so that becomes the highest level of achievement. Um, in fact, they, they were telling the story, this guy, they'd worked on him for 12 or 20 years. And... So he finally came and totally relaxed, and we got him, and they surrounded him, killed him, and cooked him, and ate him. Um, so this is, this is the tricks of Satan. Um, whether you believe it or not, that's what happens. Uh, this, now, let, let me, uh, those are spooky things to say. Um, I, uh, uh, there's two things that are real. A, a demon can influence you. Trust me. It, he, he can't own you but he can influence you. Is any, anybody here, there's nobody at your house right now? Raise your hand. Okay, what if you went home and somebody broke in and was in there? 
Does he own that house? No, but he's in your house. The demon can come and influence your life. And we call that oppression is what we say. A demon can oppress you and ride you to cause you to act in a certain way, bring, try to depress you or do whatever. But if you're walking with the Lord and, and, and you're trusting in the Lord, there's nothing that a demon or the devil can do to you outside of God's will. When, when you read the book of Job, you realize Satan had to get permission from God to affect Job. So, so if he has permission, and in fact, uh, the very words of Jesus to Peter, if you think Job's too obscure a thing to, to hang that much belief on, what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he can sift you like wheat. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus didn't say, I told him no. He said, I prayed for you because you're going to get tested, and I want you to get sifted. Because you've got to get sifted to stand on your two feet. Remember, he said, I love you more than all of them. She said, no, the rooster's going to crow. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that was that sifting. It knocked him back. He was like, oh, my goodness, I could deny Christ. And he had to realize that reality. So John 21, one of, to me, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Jesus restores Peter. And he says, do you really love me more than everybody else? Lord, you know I really like you. Peter... Do you love me more than everybody else and more, better than everybody else? Well, you know I like you a whole lot. Peter, do you like me a whole lot? And the Bible says that he was grieved because the third time Jesus said, do you like me a lot? That's the translation of the words for love. And our English Bible just says love, love, love. But it's agape, agape, phileo. It's God's love, God's love, friendship. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I really like you a lot. And he said, feed my sheep. By the way, son, you're going to get carried where you don't want to go. They're going to crucify you. Follow me. Gets up, walks off. Peter jumps up. John jumps up, is following anyway. Peter turned around and sees John. said, what about him? He said, don't you worry about him. Worry about you. You follow me. And that's Jesus' call to all of us. Um, and so we, you know, but Jesus told Peter, I've prayed for you so that when you are tried, your faith won't fail. And Jesus let him go through the trial and warned him it was coming, and it did come. So there is a time, there can be a time, I won't say there is, there can be a time in a Christian's life where God will allow some influence to come into you that is not from him to, to bring you to a, po a point of greater faith in God, to, to test it. Um, Somebody was sharing with me uh, today at lunch about um, teaching my grandson and, and what, and, and just, they were just saying, he comes up with these questions, and uh, you don't expect a six-year-old to ask those kind of questions, and Pastor Stephen has told me that he's asked him questions, and he said, son, that's above my pay grade, that's a Mac question, go ask him, um, but uh, he asked, he told a teacher, he got the concept that that God called Abraham up on the mountain to sacrifice Isaac and then, and then told him, you don't have to do it. And he said, but God tricked him into going because he thought he was going to have to kill him. And so then they had to explain. Now, you explain to a six-year-old how God wasn't tricking him. God was letting him understand his faith, his own faith. Um, you know, when you can do that, then you can understand your faith a little better too. But uh, anyway, I, I, I've gone off of this a little bit here. So this, this church is living in the midst of a pagan culture, 
And you could imagine the oppression that they're feeling constantly, as well as a political push to give your allegiance to Rome. You know, just get along by getting along. You know, go along, get along by going along. You know, you don't have to mean it, just say it. Just, yes, yeah, Caesar's Lord, big deal. I know he's not, but okay, if that'll make you happy, and I'm just going to go over here and not believe it, but I'll say it if you're not going to cut off my head. That's the pressure, right? And, and you can imagine that maybe some of us would go, you know, I can live to fight another day if I just say those words and don't really mean them. But the Bible says better not to take a vow than take a vow and not keep it. So what we vow, we better mean. That's in Ecclesiastes, if you hadn't read that part. So how does Christ represent himself in the very first verse, second part? Put it in the notes. You can just read it there if you want to. Yeah. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. So that sword, um, and I gave you a bunch of references there, um, which is good. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's King James. Quick means alive, alive and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword. And divides even to the sunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It, the Bible can discern, the, the word of God, both spoken and written, Christ himself can discern your intention. Um, Hebrews 1, 2, which I cannot quote uh, that well, I believe I know what it means, uh, says, because I looked it up to put it in there. Um, so I know the idea, but I'd rather read it and get it, get it absolutely right. Um, Hebrews uh, 1, 2, um, and Hebrews 1 is a great chapter to study just by itself. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Let's go back to verse 1. Long ago, many times and in, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the written scripture. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, which he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world, he is the uh, radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, so there is that word, that sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful. Jesus is the word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, which I'm sure I put, and if I didn't, I should have. Um, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then uh, 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is that sharp two-edged sword. If we go to the end of Revelation, when he comes back on the horse, how does he kill all the armies of the world that have gathered against him in the valley? Sword comes out of his mouth, cuts them all in half. That's why the blood's going to be running like a river in that valley. Uh, Pete got to see that valley. Imagine that valley filled with blood as deep as a horse's bridle. That's a big valley, isn't it? That's because all the armies of the earth are going to meet there. And he's going to come back on his war horse and kill them all at once. Well, Christ is, uh, well, I've kind of given it away. But these people have become lax in in their diligence against this paganness. Um, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name 
and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. Did I miss a whole part? I think I may have. Oh, no. I, I was looking at something else. Uh, Pergamon's positives right here. Um, and, and the second one, he calls in repentance. I think I just put that in the wrong spot. Um, Satan's throne is there. Now, that, that he could be referring to the various pagan gods, um, but it's probably the emperor worship is what they're probably referring to. It is an imperial cult. It is an actual cult, a system of belief. This is the biggest danger to the church. Why? Why is the imperial cult the biggest danger to the church? speculate I mean this is a discussion this isn't a I got all the answers thing yeah I mean that's how we would ha see it today wouldn't it just hang on to that and go a little a, a little deeper with it or a little broad actually a little broader with it too not just political parties but that could be yeah it could be something like that just Tolerance, yeah. Does anybody in here have a dual citizenship? You're a citizen of the United States and another country. Oh, okay, there you go. Uh, what's, what, where's your other citizenship? Poland, okay. So you're a naturalized citizen here? Okay, so, but you, but you were able to keep your citizenship in Poland as well. Okay, I have a grandbaby who was born in Costa Rica, and she will be a citizen of both places until whatever age where she can say one or the other or however that works. What did Jesus say about two masters? Yeah. Because, but why? Why did Jesus say that you can't do that? Yeah. It, it, eventually you're going to like one better than the other one, right? Um, that's just how it works. And Jesus is absolute or he's obsolete. It's, it's all him or it's nothing as far as he's concerned. So we give our allegiance to Christ alone. We are no longer citizens of this earth, the Bible says. We are now citizens of heaven. That's where our allegiance goes. That's where our, our and so if it came down to it, now being a Christian makes you a better citizen. I mean, the Christians would have been a blessing to Rome if they'd have just not done with them what they did. And it, it Constantine fixed that in 330, but then the church got weak because it became okay, and it lost uh, its persecution, and it got weaker. Um, church is always stronger when it, you got to mean it to say yes to Jesus. Um, so this was the biggest danger to that church, but in, in Pergamum at Revelation 2, it was the biggest danger physically to the church. But it was a danger morally because of what y'all just said, this compromise or this tolerance, um, this uh, kind of dual allegiance kind of thing and and here in these verses he says you hold fast my name in other words and that was the song this morning um, hold fast um, he, he said you're holding on to me you're, you're still there and he says and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells so there was a man or a person named Antipas. I, I'm assuming it was a man. Um, I, don't, I don't know enough to know if that's a, 
a masculine or feminine name, but I believe that's a man. He held, he held fiercely to their faith, and the church did not compromise, and so he was killed. They did not deny the faith. He was a faithful witness. Do you know the, the, the definition of the, or the translation of the word martyr? We use the word martyr, but that's actually a Greek word. The, the translation is witness. It's to be a witness. So the greatest witness you can be is the highest form of witness when you die for it. One of the proofs that Jesus rose from the dead physically is that all the apostles died for it. Because even if you get 11 other guys to go, if we just stick with the story, okay? And now they're starting to throw you in jail and kill you for it. One of them's going to say, dudes, like, I understand where you're coming from, but this ain't worth dying for because it's a lie. But they know it was true, and they could not deny it because it was true. And, and they would not deny it because it was true. You don't have to be highly educated. When you know something so, you, you don't let go of it. You won't say a falsehood uh, to, to save your skin when you know that you're saying Jesus is God and you know he was because not only did he die and was buried, he rose again and you got to talk to him after he was dead. And he weren't no ghost. And we know it wasn't just a mass hallucination because what did he do in the upper room when they all went, ah, it's a ghost. They ate, yeah, he ate fish. Oh, ghost eat? Here, give him some fish. Yeah, he showed it was a physical body. I can eat. I don't know how that works. Don't ask me. But that's, that's what it was. So um, if the government killed this guy, because it doesn't say how he died. It could have been a bunch of ticked off Pagan worshippers like, oh, you guys are crazy and we're going to get you. And they get Antipas because it seems like back then, uh, it even seems like in America. It, does that ever strike any of you guys funny? Especially, I mean, there's probably a bunch of people in here like me. You like these Westerns that, were, that are portraying the time between the end of the War of Northern Aggression. I mean, the war between the states and, uh, and, and coming into the 1900s. I'm sorry, I'm from Charleston. They call it the late unpleasantness. Uh, but anyway... Um, yeah, yeah, uh, anyway, I got a thousand jokes about that, but anyhow, uh, I, you know, it's kind of interesting, and, and when you read historical truth stories, there are these guys, and they would kill somebody, and they just run out west, and they just didn't have the system to track them down all the time and catch them, and so you would have guys that may have killed some guy and then run out west, and he lives, for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years out there, has a family, everything's fine, he killed that guy because whatever, and he, he's not a murderer. He didn't want to keep murdering people. He just runs out west to, so he doesn't get arrested for it. Those stories, so in this day, it seems like, boy, you could really do that. Like, you could get by with killing somebody as long as nobody cared about that guy in particular. So we don't know if he was martyred by somebody like that, just decided to kill somebody, or it was the government. But if it was the government, he was the first man to die for refusing emperor worship. Okay, He's the first one that Rome, because when we read, when, if you're like me and you grew up in church and you, you heard about how Rome persecuted Christians, we, seem to think, we would tend to think that over the entire Roman kingdom, every Christian is being persecuted. And it was, some places were worse than others. Let's put it that way. You, 
you could go to China even today, and you can go to some, one province, and you may die for your faith. You go to another one, and they don't care because it's just so vast, so big, so many people, it, it, it's, it's localized, and it was very much there. So that's what, if this guy was killed by the Roman government for being a Christian, it's the first guy to die because he refused to worship the emperor. It does, yeah. That's the safe bet that Rome killed him. Yeah, absolutely. But just have to point out, it doesn't say that specifically, but it does say that he was put to death. So very, very much so. Um, and and uh, look in chapter 17 and verse 6 of the Revelation. And I, boy, I hope I wrote that down right. Sometimes my finger slips and I don't, I don't get the reference correctly. I hope I did They moved chapter 17 in my Bible. Somebody found it? What does it say? Yep. And my, my version, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Man, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. I saw her marvel greatly, but the angel said to me, why do, you, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of this woman, the beast with seven heads, ten horns that carries her. So he's going to tell, tell him all about that. So the martyr became the most effective witness. And God knows every one of them when they die. Um, he is right there with them. I, I believe they have a special place. Um, well, what was Pergamon's problems? They allowed this pagan religion to affect them too much. They, be, they were getting lax. They were, I would say they were beat down. He says in verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some here who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. They hired Balaam to curse Israel as they're coming through, and he... And God said, if you do it, I'll kill you. And he told him, he said, I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. And so he wouldn't curse them. He blessed them. And they got mad at him. We paid you to curse them. He said, I told you I was only going to say what God let me say. But when it was all over, go back and read it. He said, but I'll tell you how you get them. Send some of them pretty women down there. And when they marry them, get them to insert their gods into that. It's what happened to Solomon. The wisest man in the world and he married the wrong woman. Well, he married the wrong 700, 600 women. Yeah. Um, that's how he achieved peace. David achieved peace through strength of, of political, of, of military might. His son achieved it by marrying the daughters of, of these kings of pagan places. And again, when I was a kid, I thought, you know, if you were a king, it was over a whole country. But you could be a king over like a county. You know, still have that title. So he... There was plenty of, of these girls for Solomon to marry. And I guess he wasn't complaining about because he did it. So I don't know how that works. But anyway, uh, they allowed them to, to influence them. And so the teaching of Balaam, you'll find that in Numbers 22 and verse 24, and then 25, 1 through 3, and then 31, 16, where Balaam is, is saying, Here, here's what you do. And it is to send in uh, women. Our time's getting away. I, I, I would read all that, but... 
Um, and, and he becomes a prototype of, of people, uh, uh, of the compromise of paganism, idolatry, and immorality. And, and so his name is used to become a, a byword to say, when you say Balaam, it is that they're, 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 they're indulging in paganism, which is the worship of false gods, idolatry, and immorality. And then here in the scripture, it says, the old teaching of Balaam, and so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So eating food or meat sacrificed to idols, Paul covers that, and it's also covered in Acts 15 where they said don't do it. If you're a Gentile, tell the Gentiles don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because as a, a Jewish person, they didn't care. They knew that was a false god. We don't give, you know, we don't care. Big deal. It's a false god. That meat's cheaper. I'm going to buy it, you know. And so that's what they would do because they knew that wasn't a real thing. But for the Gentiles who used to worship false gods, how dare you eat the meat sacrificed to those false gods? It, it, it offended them, not that it made them feel bad, but they, they felt like they were uh, worshiping that pagan god. And so when they saw a Christian do it, or a Christian that was strong enough to know it, it's not real, I can eat this meat, um, it caused them to stumble and to maybe fall back into that pagan worship. So that's the meaning of, of that weaker, stronger brother thing. And, and so um, one meaning is it was meat sacrificed to idols, but the other meaning is, is to participate in the ritual, and that's why uh, it's commanded not to do it. And so Paul discusses that in Corinthians, and I gave you the references. Um, and it seems to be participation in this case, that they would do that just so... Maybe their neighbor invited them over. Oh, we got a good deal on the meat sacrifice to, you know, the God of whatever. And, oh, really? And instead of taking a stand and saying, well, I shouldn't eat that, they would go ahead and eat it, and it, and it was bringing compromise in the lives of those people. What does the Bible say in Romans about, about uh, your actions and how you should judge your actions? That was a very broad question. You may not know what I'm talking about. But he said, if something is not of this... It's sin. Yeah, if, if it's not of faith, it's sin. If, if you're asking the question, don't do it. <laughs> Is it okay if I do this? Well, if you've got to ask the question, don't do it. Um, I heard somebody illustrate, said, do you ever take your shirt to your mom or your wife and go, Is this shirt dirty? Well, if you've got to ask the question, it's dirty. <laughs> you know? It's like you're just hoping to get one more wear out of it and their approval to do so. Um, and... and, and and so if it's not a faith, it's sin. And then, um, so in this case, they've started to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, and it's causing a compromise with the paganism, plus the immorality. And that can be of the flesh. Acts 15, 20, again, the council at Acts said, do not be immoral, be one man for one woman for one lifetime after marriage. And these Gentiles did not have the morals of a Christian, obviously, right? But you know something? If you study Revelation closely, you will see the word immorality is applied to us denying God, denying Christ. James says that, right? Friendship of the world is the enemy of God. You adulterers and adulteresses. Friendship of the world is the faithlessness to God. God sees us as married. Don't we call the church the bride of Christ? So when you go after a different God, that's 
committing adultery to God. You follow me? So that could be the sense of the meaning here, that they are beginning to compromise, and God says, you're committing adultery. It could have been of the flesh. It could have been some doing that, because, I mean, that was part of pagan worship, that you have temple prostitutes, both male and female. Um, and, well, anyway, I'll stop. But it, so it can refer to faithfulness to God alone. Isaiah 121 is a, a reference for that in Ezekiel 23:37. And then we come back to the uh, Nicolaitans. I said the first week we don't know much about them because I read a conclusion. We don't know much about them. It's, it, there's still a mystery there. But we know enough to know this, that what they believed and what they were holding on to is the heresy of Baal. What we don't know is exactly where they started, exactly where they came from. There's a couple of options. Um, one is that one of the original deacons, that was his name, Nicholas, and this was a, that he became a heretic and this is what he taught. Hey, it's okay to you know, live a wild lifestyle. Um, but it is used in this verse as an expansion of the heresy of Balaam. He, it, again, the context, he says... Um, now, the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balaam to put a stumbling block for the sons of Israel, so they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So it is in there as an expansion. And not only that, but they go even worse, because these people were basically uh, hedonistic. Um, the heresy of Balaam, I gave you more references for that. Um, 1 Kings 11, 1 Corinthians 6. Um, numbers 25 and Numbers 31. And so it's just a lax attitude toward pagan practices. Well, you know, it's okay. Well, they're just, they're just deceived. You know, it's just a joke. It's just a cartoon. It's just this or that. I, I started hating Disney movies a long, long time ago. Um, and um, for a couple reasons. One is I hate a lie. So they're lying about history and teaching a false history to our kids. The, the, um, the straw that broke the camel's back for me when my kids were little, um, Pocahontas came out. Yeah, that, that's, when it, that's when they really turned. By the way, they make, basic, they make some extremely R-rated things now openly, okay? They, they've just really gone deep in. I, I recommend you investigate Disney. They're not kid-friendly. Um, but I went to see Pocahontas, and the real Pocahontas was pretty young. She did not have a love affair with John Smith, and she became a believer, married a godly guy, and her descendants uh, still live today, and uh, I know some that serve in churches. I know a Native American uh, who used to be in the SBCV, and now he's... Uh, pastor of a First Peoples, uh, First Nations church in Oklahoma City. And his last name is Custolo, and if your name's Custolo, you're a direct descendant of Pocahontas, and so he is. His dad was a, uh, a minister on, the, on those reservations. Well, that movie, not only did they draw her differently, but to get her wisdom, she would go to Grandmother Willow and talk to the willow tree. That's called animism. You want to know what animism is? There it is. And I've got my little girls and kids in there, and I came out of that movie, I said, I'll never take you to another Disney movie, that was a lie, that was a lie from the pit of hell, I mean, I'm preaching to my daughters, just letting them know, that's horrible, that woman was a believer, she was a Christian, she would never have done that, uh, you know, because what Disney's doing is like, oh, you know, 
it's, it's all made up, number one. We have no evidence that ever happened. And then number two, it's making kids think that's okay. They don't forget. Satan doesn't come and go, boo. He just slides a little bit in there in a real attractive thing. All that glitters is not gold. And remember, all that is gold is not glitter. Um, so these people just begin to accept it. It's okay. No, it's not. It really is not, because does every kid who ever watches Disney become a pagan? No, not at all. But I'm just telling you, um, that's why I tell you that my own personal thinking. I grew up in a, in a family, in a place. You've got to understand, we're in West Africa. I'm, I'm going to take a lot of time. We're, we're past closing time, so if you want to leave, feel free. I've got a little bit more to say here, but I, I just need to tell you my personal thing here. And that is, uh, the, the slaves in North America came from West Africa. So, Senegal is on the coast of West Africa, so it's very possible some of those slaves came from there. We, we get off the plane, we start going to cross-country in Senegal, and I realize this looks like home. It's, it's marshy, it's a salt river, and it's a lot bigger there than where I grew up, but it's salt river going inland, it's a tidal river. We get 40, 60 miles inland, and we're crossing a two-mile-wide salt river with jellyfish and crabs and shrimp in it. I mean, it's just that way. The food tasted like what I grew up with. My mom said that her mom's mom, my mother's grandmother, was not a good cook. So her mother on Paris Island learned to cook from Sister Josephine over in Port Royal across the, across the river there. And so my mother and her cousin used to joke about that. When I was a pastor, when I was 19 on John's Island, I could drive you around John's Island out there because back then it was all agricultural and people were few and far between. And you could see the uh, voodoo blue doors. And there's a certain color blue and you paint your door that way to keep the haints out. It was also known as haint blue. Haint is a gullah word for, for a ghost, a haunt, <laughs> yeah, a, a, a spirit. So I grew up with that. I grew up with my family talking that way sometimes. Uh, my aunt, they said she was born with a veil over her face. Now, all that is is a placenta that get washed off on your way out. But with the Scottish heritage, they believed if a baby was born with a veil over their face, that they would have the second sight. They could tell the future. And I'm telling you, there were things in my life as a kid I knew was going to happen, and it did. So that's why I say, if I'd have known I could do that warlock stuff, I'd have done it, because that was there. It was in front of me. And thankfully, I never knew that till later, that it was actually real, and I learned it in the context of it is demonic, it is satanic, you don't want to mess with it, okay? So I, I give that as a testimony. So I, that's why I get a little mm about that, because it's, I just see that danger and where it's, it's, it's not good. I'm not judging anybody else about it. Um, I like as much, you know, Tasmanian devil and uh, some things about Mickey Mouse I think is cool. Do y'all know what Mickey Mouse's original first name was? It wasn't Mickey. Thank you, Mortimer. So at Chick-fil-A, when they say, is there a name with this order? I say, yes, Mortimer. And, uh, but, but they write it down, I spell it, and then they go, Mortimer? They, they can't say it. So, so uh, Anyway, so that, that's just personal in my life. Uh, I, I confess my generational family sin when I was 14 and said, Lord, I won't have anything to do with that. If it's not of you, I don't want it. And so some of that stuff went away, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. But I was telling you, I kind of grew up in this culture of, 
oh yeah, they're practicing voodoo down there on the beach. I've seen them. I've seen them doing ceremonies out there, dancing around, doing all this stuff. It's very, very real. And, and if you, listen, you mountain folk ought to know this because it's in them hollers, okay? They're doing it there too. It, it's, it's all over the place. It, it seems like these folks run to certain places. So what is the cure? What is the cure for it? What I just told you. It is repentance. He says there in verse uh, 18, therefore, or 16, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. That, that is not his, when he says I will come to you soon, that isn't the second coming. He says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to take care of you with the sword of my mouth. That's why he was revealed to them as the, as having that two-edged sword, I'm going to cut you. And whether he's going to do surgery and get the bad stuff out or do surgery on the body, which is the church, and remove those who are now worshiping pagan things, go back and read Ananias Sapphire. That's also in Acts 5 that I referenced this morning. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed them both. He says, repent. And even though if only a few are guilty, the whole church is going to come under judgment. Why? Right. They tolerated it. Let me ask you a question. If you get up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, and you cut the end of the bed too short, and you stub your little toe, does your little toe go, Ay, that hurt? Or does your whole body go, what are you doing? That really hurt. The whole body feels it, right? A part of you, and you're allowing it. When there is sin, you have to deal with it because it, it's a cancer in the body. Sorry to use that reference because I know some people have or have had cancer. But when sin is tolerated and there's a, a laxity toward dealing with it. And so only if you are guilty, everybody is going to have to deal with it. And so I just put their Jews return here. It's, it's a special judgment. He's telling them, if you don't fix this, I'm going to come to you with that sword in my mouth. And we're going to get this, this straightened out. And then I love the language that's all through uh, these churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. In other words, there are people who are deaf to hearing from God. Why? Why are some people deaf to hearing what God has to say to them? Yeah. Yeah, they put in earplugs. They don't want to hear it, right? Uh, the Bible says that sin will cause you not to be able to hear from God. God will not deal with you if, if you continue in sin knowingly. That, that you have no guarantee he'll answer your prayers according to scripture. He does not hear the prayers of those who are in not knowing sin. So that's the bad news. So he says, so if you've got an ear to hear, let him hear what I'm saying. So you can say, Lord, open my ears. I want to hear from you. And the reason your ear would be closed is if you have no intention of obeying. Why would he tell you? Right? I would not waste my breath telling my child something if I knew they weren't going to obey. Now, that's, that's really convoluted because that didn't happen. But, um, but I, I never had to repeat myself after the first time because a minute when I said it. Now, you know, and by the first time, I meant the first time in their life when I had to speak twice because I didn't speak twice. I said it. They didn't do it. They got it. Why'd you do that? Because I told you to do something, you didn't do it. 
Well, I was, well, tell me that. And so what I taught them is, if I tell you something, and you've got a good reason that you need a minute, just tell me that. I can say, oh, okay, that's fine. Just, you can take your time. But don't ignore me. And when God is speaking to us and we ignore him, hello. <laughs> so if you've got an ear to hear, why would he waste time telling you something you're not going to obey? And he knows you're not. So if you've got an ear to hear, he's going to speak to you. And so let, he's encouraging us, open your hearing so that you can hear him. And to the one who conquers, what does it mean to conquer? Are they going to overcome Rome? No way. The way they conquer is never give in to Rome. The winner is the guy that doesn't give up, not the guy who loses by the scoreboard. Um, sorry, to, sorry to use a, a military reference. I was not in the military, and I have utmost respect for those who were. Um, but after uh, Marcus Utrell went through what he did, if you don't know who that is, he was a, one of a four-man reconnaissance SEAL team. Um, they, they broke special warfare tactics by a, a shepherd boy, surprised them, and they didn't kill him, which is what you do, so you can't tell on you. They let him go. He went and told the village. Before they could get off the mountain, the people were there. They, they just, it was their terrain. Four men came under attack by over at least 100, but probably several hundred Taliban fighters. Three were killed. He was a lone survivor of that. Two broken legs, broken back, bit his tongue in half, shot multiple times all over his torso. Survived it, got out eventually. They made a movie, he wrote a book about it. Navy asked him uh, to do it, um, and it was therapy for him. That's how he dealt with all the emotional things. He still goes uh, to therapy, and once a year he goes for checkups, and they do a lot for him. And then they made a movie about it. So now he's on tour about the movie. And this person who's interviewing him has no clue about military life. And he said, did it bother you that, that you lost? And you saw him tighten up. And the guy playing him was Mark Wahlberg. And Mark Wahlberg's sitting there, and you can tell he's like, uh oh, I know what this means. He tightened up and he said, what, what do you mean that we lost? He said, well, you know, three men died. You barely survived. He said, I don't know what movie you were watching, but we killed over 100 fighters with four men, and I never quit. I never gave up, and those three men never gave up. They fought till they could not fight anymore because they were dead. And, I mean, he was hot. You could tell he was hot. The he who conquers. You may die, but die doing what God told you to do. And he calls you a conqueror. You're not, you, the enemy is, Satan is so big and large, and, and God gives some victories physically over things. I'm not saying he doesn't. But if we are faithful to the end, if we overcome, if we conquer, I will give some of the hidden manna. Man, I, I like this. Um, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I, I, I found this about the hidden manna. That you have to stay true to Christ. You have to resist this desire to, or this, this pressure to go into a false religion. But there was a, an idea in, in the Jewish people. 
In Exodus 16, we read about them putting manna in a quart jar and putting it in the ark. So they preserved some, and Hebrews 9.4 talks about it as well. But they had this belief, and, and I believe it's probably true, that the manna was still in that ark, and it was preserved. It never, never went away. In Jeremiah's time, the prophet Jeremiah, it, it, Jerusalem's overrun, and the Jewish people have a, a, it's not legend, whatever you call it, tradition, that an angel took the ark and hid it until the time of the Messiah, and they would get that manna out, and the people of God would be able to eat the manna from heaven. I turn your attention to John chapter 6, verse 31, 49, and 58. The Pharisees said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He said, yeah, they ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the manna that comes from heaven. When you eat of me, you will not lose your life. You'll never hunger again. That's all there in those references in John. Jesus is the manna from heaven. And they even had a tradition in Jewish life that manna would be revealed in the time of the Messiah. And Jesus stands there and tells them, I am the manna from heaven. Your fathers ate manna and died. It did not give you eternal life. Even people that ate manna died. But Jesus said, I'm the true bread from heaven. And when you partake of me, so when we take communion, we are symbolically saying, Jesus, we believe you're the manna from heaven that gives eternal life. You catching that? That comes out in this church. The white stone would signify an acquittal by a jury. They'd cast lots, white, okay, he's innocent. Or it was used as the uh, token to get into a public festival, which explains... Coming to a wedding feast, you would have your invitation, they had given you a white stone, and you would, here's my stone, okay, well, come on in, you were invited. So now he's going to give us the white stone to get to eat the manna to go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And on it will be written a name that nobody knows but you. That's cool. Now, the commentator I read said, oh, it could be the name of Christ. No, it says it's a name that nobody knows but you. He's going to give you a new name. My name right now is Randolph Stewart McCarr. I can tell you all about that name. I, I would love to do so, but I'm way past time. And uh, you wouldn't care anyway. I just like to do it anyway. But that's not my name. I don't know my name yet. He's going to give me that name one day. And I'll know it. I don't know if you get to know it or not. I might get to tell you. I don't know. But nobody knows. He, but he's not going to tell everybody, hey, this is so-and-so. No, he's going to give it to me. Here, here's how I think about you. Remember good old Simon? Y'all remember Simon in the Bible, right? The one that he changed his name to the rock. Oh yeah, Peter. That was the nickname Jesus gave him. His name was Simon. But you're a rock. Me? I'm ADD. Are you kidding me? I'm not a rock. I'm all over the place. No, you're the rock, man. Because everybody's going to know it wasn't you. <laughs> You could have done what you're going to do if it hadn't been for me.